All right, friends, this is episode 11 of the Bible Lab Podcast. You are listening to the Bible Lab Podcast, recorded before a very lively audience on the campus of Loma Linda University. Here's your host, Roy Ice. Hey, everybody. I hope you're having an incredible week, and thank you so much for joining us for the Bible Labs podcast. Now, this week we have another great conversation, but before we get to it, I just want to remind you of a couple of things. First of all, thank you so much to Loma Linda University Church and all of their support and our community support to make sure that this podcast is available to you. I also want to encourage you to visit us at thebiblelab.com to connect with our podcast and all the things that we've got going on. So make sure you visit our website, thebiblelab.com. Now, today we're going to take a step into a brand new series called Life in the Wilderness. And in this series, we're taking the next steps from our previous series about the Hebrews in Egypt, and we're going to follow them as they step into their newfound freedom, stepping away from Egypt and stepping into the wilderness. And you will find in your own life probably a, a lot of connections you wish you, you, you might wish you couldn't. But that's what's going to make it so valuable to you is to see the character of God and how God operates as he's trying to get to know you how he's trying to help you get to know him. What are the methods that he uses? What are the different things that he wants to set up? And I guarantee in this series, your life is going to be changed. And so without further ado, I invite you to say a quick prayer right now, inviting God to speak to you directly about his character. Welcome to the Bible Lab. All right, you guys ready for yes and no? Here we go. Number one, I use GPS for every new place that I drive. I use GPS for every new place that I drive. Ah, mostly yes, but it's about 35% no and a few maybes. A few maybes. So the majority of you in here, you use GPS whenever you drive to a new place. Good. So do I. You can never have too many women telling you where to go. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Number two, I dislike following a driver who drives like they don't know where they're going. Whoa. (laughs) uh, Yes and uh, three maybes. So it's all yeses and three maybes because you don't want to admit the person is the one next to you that you're upset at. Yeah, we do not like following drivers who make wrong turns, don't seem to know where they're going. Number three, when you let him, God will take you to your divine destination along the shortest route possible. Yes or no? Oh, the majority of the class is saying, no, it looks like about 95%, no, about 90% no, about 5% yes and 5% maybe. So most of you are saying, when it's possible, God does not take you on the shortest route possible, which tells me one of two things. You guys are either extremely calloused people (laughs) or you're extremely pessimist people or you're extremely experienced people. That's probably it. Number four, 
I have to see something before I really believe it. I have to see something before I really believe it. Okay, the majority is saying, no, you don't have to see it before you believe it. And it looks like about 70% of you, 75% of you said, no, you don't have to see it before you believe it. About 25% of you uh, said no with a few maybes mixed in with that. Interesting. Strong group of faith. That's why you're here today. You have no idea where we're going, but you have faith. It's, it's going to be good. You haven't seen it, but it's going to be good. And number five, some of the impossible situations you find yourself in are actually caused by God. Oh, we are a mix here, about 50-50. About 50-50 of you either think some of the impossible situations you find yourself in are actually caused by God or not caused by God. I'm so glad it's a split, and you know why, because it means it's going to be a really good discussion today, because this is one of the main points that we're going to look at. Because you have a lot of preachers on TV that will tell you, just give your heart to Jesus and everything will be better. Your bank account will be 10 times the balance what you currently have. Your troubles will go away. Jesus will protect you. Many of us don't think that God would literally lead us into harm's way on purpose. God can take us a short route. He can take us to prosperity, but God takes us away from prosperity, and he takes us into danger. What does that say about the character of God? He's getting a little spicy now, isn't he? It was okay, the previous series, the one that's actually on the podcast right now, Stranger God, where God's here to, to show his divine power, and the people that are, that are being hurt by the ten plagues are the enemy, the ones that need to learn about the new God. And the people who are being protected from the plagues are the Hebrews, the people of God, the people of promise. But what happens when that people of promise take a step out of slavery into their newfound freedom and God leads them into danger? Not only leads them into danger, but leads them around on a route that no GPS app would ever take you on. The longest route possible. And that's what we're going to take a look at today as we start this new series, Life in the Wilderness, From Exodus to Promise. Children of Israel, they've stepped out of the city of Ramses. They're walking toward freedom. What can we find out about the character of God by seeing how he leads a group of people that don't know him? They know about him. They've been convinced that he's real in very physical, tangible ways, but they don't know this God. They've seen that he can work, but they've never worked with him. Some of you will find a great parallel of your own life within this eight-week study. As you see how God has brought you from a time when you knew about God right after the time that you didn't know God, into a time that he says, follow me, and you began to follow God, but somewhere along the way, one of several things happened. You either got to know God, you began to doubt God, 
You went on your divine mission your, where you thought he was guiding you, but it feels like you're going everywhere but your divine destiny. You are wandering in the wilderness. And many of you, as we go through this, it's going to be quite painful because it's going to dig up some things in your own life that you've been, uh, as much as possible, trying to bury with this thing you call faith. Your belief system that this is the correct way, I'm supposed to follow this way, but you feel like you're in the dry desert of the wilderness in your own spiritual walk. And so many of you, as we go through this, you're going to find extreme personal application to your own spiritual walk. And you're going to find yourself somewhere in these eight weeks, you're going to find yourself somewhere in this wilderness. And so I invite you as we step into this series to also imagine yourself as a Hebrew who is stepping out of a life of everything that he knows and stepping into a life of nothing that he knows, stepping from the known to the unknown. And so we begin this journey. They have just left the 10th plague, death of the firstborn has taken place, and now uh, it's time to experience their newfound freedom. Pharaoh said, take off, get out of here. And so nearly 2 million people and cattle and everything that they can somehow tie onto their oxen, began marching out away from Egypt, and that's where we pick up the story. If you look at the study guide, you'll see Exodus chapter 13. We're going to start with verse 17 and verse 18. Would someone be willing to read that for us? Exodus 13, verses 17 and 18. Thank you. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Hmm. There's a contradiction in this verse. The beginning and the end has a huge contradiction, but let's take a step back the very beginning of this verse, and ask the question, why didn't God lead the Israelites along the shortest route? Why do you think? Why didn't God lead the Israelites along the shortest route? One of the things that may have been happening is the route that took 40 years ensured that it was an entirely new group of people that he was working with as he led them into the promised land. And it's interesting, he told Moses, I'm going to wipe these people out and start over with you. And Moses negotiated with God, and and God said no. But in reality, God ended up doing that by allowing one entire generation to die off through those 40 years and starting over with a new generation. That's interesting, Jay, and I I, I like it. There's just uh, one other element that that we can see in Scripture, because there is that turning point when God says, I could take you a shorter route, but now it's going to take 40 years. And that actually happens with the 12 spies. We're going to get there, because it's a major turning point in the faith movement of the Israelite people. It could have taken 40 days, but 
it took much longer. And so we're going to see why the 40 years when we get to that section. So don't miss, because it's really good. Um, because God specifically says why it was exactly 40 years. They didn't wander wondering, wondering, is this the year that we go into the... Is this the year? They had it on the calendar. They knew exactly what year from the very first year of the 40. And we'll see why when we get there. Yes. Ready for battle. Uh, perhaps they were moving in fear. They had left everything they had known. They were facing the unknown. And though God had given them plenty of reason to trust him, they were moving in fear and ready for battle against the unknown, against the Philistines or whatever. And uh, God wanted them to trust that's very, very interesting. I, I appreciate that. The contradiction, which you just touched on, is that God says, you're not ready for battle. At the end of verse 18, it says, they marched out ready for battle. The people think they're ready for battle. God says, you're not ready. You're not ready yet. We're going to touch on that in about five minutes over here. We have been... <clears throat> We haven't picked on kids in a long time. I think let's pick on kids. <laughs> it's, it's we fun. started off. You had to have been here at the beginning, <laughs> but you know, I think young parents have this profile of what they're going to do with their kids, and then time and time again, we hear, "I'm doing it just like my parents did," and I said I would never do that. <laughs> and with the Israelites, they were. You you talked about some contradictions. When Moses parted the Red Sea and they were fleeing, God had worked a wondrous thing. So he could have wiped out the Philistines, obviously. Yeah. But I think that if we compare it to addictive behavior, we fall back into that which has happened. Case in point in religion, the person that brought me into the Adventist or Christian faith, uh, and one day I went over her house, good Christian, and she was tying a rag around a dining room table. True story. And I said, what are you doing? She said, well, you know, I'm a Christian, but I served over in Africa, and they have this thing of tying this towel around the table because it keeps evil spirits away. Hmm. And I, I submit that the Israelites heading into that promise are like a lottery winner. Hmm. We've got it all, and you fall back into the old habits because they don't have a relationship yet with the God that they've been reintroduced to. Absolutely. And that seems to be the reasoning stated in verse 17 that God said, I could take you a short route. It's through the Philistine territory. Now, the Philistines at this point were not an enemy of God. They were actually an enemy of Egypt. Many times we find in recorded history, they were trying to mount battles against Egypt. They were waiting for a moment just like this in order to attack Egypt. And so the Philistines were not an enemy of the people of God yet. But yet, God says through Moses here that he didn't want to take them through it because they weren't ready for that war. The threat that two million people coming into your territory would pose would cause a war. God says, my fear is that when you see that, that level of battle, you will turn tail and you'll go back into slavery on your own. You mentioned right here people that even though 
they found freedom from something other than Christ that they still hang on to. It's like an insurance policy. They hang on to the old and knowingly keep themselves a slave of the occult and of satanic ritual to make sure that they're hedging their bets. God said, you're not ready for battle. Scripture says in verse 18, we're ready for battle. Yes. Um, the Israelites, they were slaves. And at least growing up here in the United States, we have the idea of slavery very um, preformed by what happened here in the United States. And I think it was a very different type of slavery over there. They were not primed for conflict. They were not, uh, they didn't have that, uh, they weren't subjugated as terribly as the African Americans were here. Um, I think part of the reason why they didn't want to fight is because they didn't have a dog in this fight, like you said. It was just, they had left Egypt and they were already picking a bone with the first person they met. Yeah. They're just house hunting. Right. They, they don't, they don't want to cause a fight with the neighbors. They're just house hunting. Right. It's interesting uh, to back up to what Thad says. I'm, I'm working with a, a gentleman now who um, several years ago, he was actually signed to the Seattle Seahawks. Incredible football player. Grew up as a Christian, very faithful in church, but the devil of addiction got him. Drugs ruined his NFL career. He was cut. Cut before he could ever become an NFL star, the star that he was in college. It's interesting to hear his story of every time God would move and make himself known, he would give glory to God, but then he would run back to the drugs. It had a hold of him. He was a slave to drugs. He's a slave to whatever solves your current problem. And if you serve a God who consistently takes you into problem, it makes it very much difficult to follow a God into problems when you can revert back into being a slave to something that makes you forget your problems. And so even though he was finding freedom financially, support, everything, he consistently, when trouble would come, would revert back to the drugs. Greg. Um, to have a corollary to James point, Jay's point about the, working with the generation, we have to remember that that is the generation that witnessed magic mm -hmm. because the priests threw down their rods and their rods became snakes too. That's right, because the, the, um, the first couple of signs of God, the rod to snake to, to rod again, the Nile to blood, they could do that. God chose the first couple of signs to do things that they could repeat. Remember, then they got to the sign that they said, we can't do that. We can't do that. If you want to know what that is, listen to episode four. It's coming out next week. So the question remains... God takes them the long route. He says, you're not ready for battle. 
The people say, no, we're ready for battle. The Bible uses the phrase, they went out ready for battle. That's actually a poor translation. The literal translation says, they went out by groups of 50. What does that mean? That's a very common phrase for how you set up an army marching to battle. So they had organized themselves like an army in groups of 50, and they marched out like an army in groups of 50, but it doesn't mean they had any weapons. They were not holding weapons. Being ready for battle means you're not only holding weapons, not only in groups of 50, but you have trained for battle. And they had not trained for battle. They were great builders, but they were not soldiers. It reminds me very much of what we do in church. We train for spiritual battle. We gather in our groups. We look orderly. We dress nice. I I think of groups like the Boy Scouts and Pathfinders and all these things where we dress like we're ready for battle. We march like we're ready for battle, but we're not ready for battle. We have the appearance of an army moving forth, but we do not have the training of an army moving forth. And so when battle really comes and the pressure comes and people are being wounded, it's no wonder why people in our own ranks who appeared to be ready for spiritual battle, turn tail and retreat to the world. In times like now where we have battles even within our own army, there are people that instead of saying, no, I am here to arm myself for spiritual battle, people are turning tail and saying, I'm not going to be part of this army. No way. God has called us to not simply order ourselves in regiments like an army. He has not called us to simply fill our ranks in our seats. He's called us to prepare ourselves for battle. The Israelites were not there, and many of us are not there either. Because when the battle comes, God knows when that true test comes into your life, chances are you'll turn tail and you will run back to the thing that's enslaving you, the world. The people thought they were ready, but they were just marching in groups of 50. That's it. As we continue on to the next couple of verses, we see in Exodus 13, verse 20 to 22, that next segment of their journey. Would someone be willing to read that? It's right here on our card. Someone willing to read Exodus 13, verse 20 to 22. After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night, in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. For the first time in all of human history, God chooses to represent himself, to manifest himself in physical form as a shape, an essence, a recognizable form. He doesn't show himself as a human form floating there in front of them, kind of foggy by day and fiery by night. He chooses a pillar of cloud. He could have chosen thousands 
of things. Why do you think God chose the pillar of cloud and fire? It's just a guess. There's no wrong answers. Why do you think God would have chosen a pillar of cloud and fire? I think pillar of the cloud was to protect them for the sun because in the desert is so hot. Mm -hmm. At the night, also for the light, of course, but for warm them because in the desert, the temperature is so cool. Absolutely. A lot of, very good. A lot of commentators have said, what would the most refreshing and encouraging thing be to people in the desert? A cloud during the heat of the day, fire during the cold of the desert night. It's reassuring. And perhaps to a people who were fairly primitive and in an even more primitive environment would look at that and say, well, I'm sticking... <laughs> I'm sticking close to the cloud. I'm sticking close to the fire um, because that's, that's what I desire the most right now. Very good. Uh, one description we have of God is that he is not made with hands. Um, I find that's very important, you know, to avoid making idols. Our God uh, really is invisible. And, and a cloud is visible and fire is visible, but you can't grab them. You can't put your hands on them and you can't really, you know, control them. You, fire we do control somewhat, but uh, you can't, you know, be uh, more in control of them. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. You can't carve cloud. <laughs> you can't carve fire. So I, I really like what you're doing here because he's about to, in just a matter of days, talk to them about not making any graven images. And so by choosing a very ambiguous form uh, that is constantly changing, it disallows you to say, well, I'm going to make a statue of that. Um, I, I really like that. Very good. Anybody else? I think there's a strong symbolism in the light and darkness, too. Um, we've just come out of Egypt, and one of the plagues in Egypt was darkness. And in the ancient world, darkness symbolized uh, disfavor, um, not being a good thing. It was just seen as being evil. And so that cloud um, also, when it moved between the Israelites and the Egyptians, it was darkness on the Egyptians and light on the favored people of God. Yeah. So the, the light and the fire was a favored symbol too. Yeah. And scripture tells us right here that it allowed them to not only travel by day, but they could travel by night too. One of the most dangerous things you could do in the wilderness is to walk in the dark. You can break a leg, your animals can break their legs. It, it's, you can end up in briars and all kinds of stuff. But it provided light in the darkness. It provided a, a guide to them during the day. 24-7, you had to worry about this group of people because you couldn't count on them stopping at night because God would light up the wilderness. Yeah, no, I just had a question because I'm not familiar enough with the Hebrew in this. Uh, it's, in several translations I have say that God was in the pillar mm -hmm. or was in the fire. Yeah. And, and we're saying... What I'm hearing you say is as a pillar or as fire. Is, does, it, it, does it go either way? Or um, is it, could he have been in another form within 
the cloud or within the fire. Uh, as, as the three worthies were in the fire, they saw another image, another person in there. Um, and, and when Moses was revealed, when God revealed himself to Moses, he was in a humanoid form. Uh, he was also in the bush, but I mean, was that concealing his true form yeah. so that we wouldn't see the Shekinah glory, which would have killed them all, I would imagine. Yeah. So, I Incredible know. question. I love that question because it's clarification of, uh, of something that a lot of people have a question on. Now, was this just a representation of God or was this actually the presence of God? And the Bible makes it really clear that God was in the cloud, in the fire. His presence was there. It was not a proxy. It was not a representation of God. God himself was the guide. God himself was there, his presence. He didn't just magically say, well, let's have this thing go around where I want them to go and have them chase the laser pointer around the wilderness, right? No, it was God himself leading them. So thank you for that clarification because many people have thought it's just a representation of God, but all commentators that I've read are very clear and they point to the scripture that said God was in the pillar. And so it makes a much more personal experience. God said, I'm not going to send an angel to guide them. I'm not going to send one of my emissaries. I'm sending myself. You are that important to me. I'm going to guide you myself with my own presence. Actually, uh, when, um, when they stopped and the cloud would hover around uh, the temp the, their uh, church, yeah. So um, they knew that God is there. Absolutely. And sometimes this cloud would expand. You know, it starts as a pillar and it begins expanding so much that it fills the temple. It did it when they first built the temple of Moses. It did it again in the temple of Solomon that he had created. And this pillar of cloud just becomes this mass of cloud. It's as if God's saying, okay, I can't contain myself. I'm so excited. I was containing myself to this small space, but I'm so excited when God laughs and God smiles, he spreads. Kind of like you, when you see, you know, how can you tell when certain people or animals or whatever are happy? God spreads. That's how he shows his happiness. Yes. They didn't need any editor or news reporters. Everybody could see the cloud. Everybody could see the fire. Exactly. Which brings us to the next point. Thank you so much. Because when Moses is saying, God has told us to go here, now God has told us to go there, it causes a challenge when you're going the same path that you just walked, and now you're going the other way. It is not easy to move all your stuff without a U-Haul and to have to walk it back miles along the same route that you've already gone, you can imagine there's some grumbling. The people needed a pillar, a pillar other than Moses, because this required utmost obedience. They did not have anything close to faith yet, and God knew it. They needed obedience, but they needed something to follow other than a human. Because I don't believe they ever would have done what Moses told them to do 
Two million people. It's hard enough for me to get all of you to go someplace I tell you to go. Two million people. You try telling them walk a couple of miles back the same direction you just walked. You can imagine the grumbling. You can imagine how deep that grumbling was. They needed a pillar. Yes, sir. Yes, there seem to be some contradictions. How do I trust God's leading? When he is taking me uh, on a 40 years journey that he promised or announced should have taken me 40 days. Mm -hmm. One. There is God's permissive will, his ultimate will, and his original will. Now, which of these do I trust when God is guiding my life? Yeah. That's the ultimate question. I, 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 love, I love that you asked that. Because guess what? 99% or more of the people in here have, will, or are asking that exact same question today. We're asking that same question. God, I've prayed. I've seen how you've acted in the past with me, with my family, with my friends, with my loved ones, extended family. I've seen how you've moved. And now when this tragedy strikes so close to my own home, I'm still supposed to believe you are love. I'm still supposed to believe that you can act. Why didn't you act now? Why did you take me on this route when I know you can take me on this route? I still would believe you. I still would love you. Why am I going on this path? The question of all of us. Is there a connection between God appearing in the flame and then in our last series of lessons, the Holy Spirit God appeared as a flame over the uh, heads of the apostles at Pentecost? I love it. I love that, Thad, because I was wondering the same thing when I was studying for this week. Because God appears as a miniature pillar of fire above the heads of the apostles in the upper room at Pentecost. It's the exact same imagery of what happened in Moses' first temple, in Solomon's temple, this presence of God in a pillar over the temple. And then Jesus says, your body is the temple of God. And now you have the presence, the pillar of God, His Spirit, His very self within you if you ask Him. If you invite him and let him tabernacle himself in you, and then the cloud no longer goes before you, this pillar no longer leads you outside of you, the pillar leads you from within. And we still today are led by the pillar of fire, a very real, tangible essence of God inside of us that gives us the guidance of where to go, even going in directions that seem counterproductive to the divine destiny that we've already sensed God has placed within us. I absolutely, absolutely agree. Yes, Rod. Is our theology of God a dot? He only has one way. 
or is it a circle? Hmm. And how big is that circle? A dot, a circle, or a squiggly line? God has multiple ways, and it's really, really frustrating when you hear the proudful jerk who has the dot. Well, I just prayed, and God just poof. Look at me. I have all this money. I have all this success. I have everything I want. I just prayed, and boom. We're like, we hate you in the Lord. Because that's not our experience. Most of us do not experience God in a punctiliar way where he comes in and right at one point, our lives are changed. I wish it was that easy. I wish it was that easy for me because I knew when I was in college, starting out college, I knew, I felt it in my heart. I was a deeply spiritual person. I knew in my heart I was going to Loma Linda. I knew I would live in Southern California. How? I don't know. I can't explain it. I just knew I was going to Loma Linda. But I also knew I was going to med school. (laughs) And that's why I figured I was going to Loma Linda. It's amazing the path that God leads you on to do something he made you to do. Exactly. Over here, Tucker. Uh, In the beginning, the pillar is leading them, and there are times that the pillar is also behind them to protect protect them. Yes. But when a tabernacle was made or formed, is the pillar become in the middle of them or still lead them or at the back? Anytime they moved, I should say it this way, anytime the pillar moved, they moved. When the pillar would hover in one spot, that's where the temple was placed. And so they would place the, the, the temple right there where God stopped. And when the cloud would move, they'd say, oh, pack up, it's time to go. We're moving again. And so does that answer your question? Is it in the beginning of what? So his question is, is God leading? Is God in the middle of our life? What is, that's a perfect question for us today. Because if we are tabernacling God, we are the temple of God, how do we know when God wants us to remain in the ministry, the place, the setting where we are, and when God needs us to step out into the uncomfortable unknown? And you can only know that if you know what it feels like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because you can tell at the moment that the Spirit moves. That's why our church is called a movement because we're supposed to sense the tangible movement of the Spirit to know whether we're keeping our camp right here when God says, I need you to keep on going. I have some victories for you over here in a place that you never thought that you'd go. Wow, thank you so much for joining us this week. And I know as you're continuing to commit your life to following that pillar of cloud in your life, that fire that God promised that he would place within you his very spirit, I want you to come back next week because you're going to have to deal with one of the tough, real-world questions that come up for people who do follow that pillar of cloud, who do allow God to lead them places. What do you do? When you followed the pillar of cloud and the cancer still comes, the child still dies, the parent passes, what do you do when you followed God and he leads you to a place of bitterness? Oh, I can't wait for you to hear 
more about the character of God in this real-world situation. So I invite you to come back for episode 12 as we discuss this next step in your faith walk. God bless you, and I hope you'll come back for episode 12. Thank you for listening to the Bible Lab podcast. If you're planning a trip to Southern California, make sure to reserve your VIP seats in the Bible Lab by emailing us at info at Programs are recorded each Saturday at 10.30 a.m. We hope to see you soon. Until then, we wish you God's richest blessings as you continue to research and develop the character of God.